0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: I am going to skip some opening and preliminary remarks because I am very eager to get into the sermon today. And I believe that what we will learn today will alter your thinking and your heart and will ground you in the truth. And I'm really hoping that you can stay with me. It won't be too long. But where we're going, I'm telling you, just wait for it, okay? Wait for it. We're going to get there. So with that serious introduction, I want to start by now talking about lemonade. <laughs> Perhaps you enjoy lemonade. I like lemonade a little bit, but if I'm going to drink it, I want to get it at Chick-fil-A. Lemonade, anybody agree with me? Yep. Perhaps as a child, you bought lemonade from a child's lemonade stand. And that stuff is usually really nasty. <laughs> they put tons of sugar in there and you thought it would quench your thirst, but it was just way too sugary and maybe made uh, your stomach upset. Now, on the other end of the spectrum is pure lemon juice. You ever drank that before? When I was little, I saw that my grandparents' Refrigerator, and I was really thirsty and I drank that, and that was not a good idea. That did not quench my thirst. You see, when you're thirsty, you desire properly sweetened lemonade that isn't loaded with sugar or pure lemon juice. And believe it or not, I have brought up lemonade right now because I'm going to talk about suffering. You may not see the connection, but I'm going to talk about suffering. Steve Estes, who's a pastor of an E-Free Church in Pennsylvania, and Johnny Erickson Totter, you guys may know her, an author and speaker who is a quadriplegic. We'll talk about her more later. They wrote an article in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, and the title of the article is, Which God is in Your Sufferings? Which God is in Your Sufferings?" And I'm going to reference this article throughout, so stay with me. One view is the sugar view of God, sugar view of God. This is the God who can't control the bad things that happen to you, but once it has happened, he can come in and offer you comfort. This is the responding God. And you're suffering the sugar view of God, people will come up to you and say, you know, God didn't have anything to do with your pain, but now he's coming in ready to help. The sugar view of God. The other view of God is the no sugar added view of God this is the the strong sovereign God who who brings suffering into your life to change you and make you holy and the no sugar added view of God people will come up to you and say this is totally for your good the sovereign God has brought this into your life to change you and the question I'm going to ask you this morning is which God is in your sufferings the real God in your sufferings is not the sugar God who is really too sweet to be comforting, or the no sugar God who is just out to change us, to meet us in our sufferings. But here's the real God. The real God is the properly sweetened God. The properly sweetened God who can quench your soul. And today we're gonna see this wonderful mix of sovereignty and love. Properly sweetened, sovereignty, yes. Love, absolutely, together. And it's this God is the God Who will meet you and your suffering and if you're not going through suffering right now we all know that you will and you kind of want to get your theology straight not so that you can have intellectual knowledge alone but so that your heart can respond to god who is both sovereign and loving in some of the darkest times of your life so let's look at psalm 119 psalm 119 we're going to be primarily in verses 65 through 80. And this is the second week looking at the Psalm, and you wonder why are we go into Psalm 118. It's because I'm trying to get you ready for the new year. In the new year, we're going to go through uh, hidden within the 40-day Scripture Memory Project. We're going to talk about memorizing the Word together, and that book is available in the lobbies, as Pastor Jim mentioned, for a donation or whatever amount to go and support the call. Now, once you get your book, you can start to go through it by yourself as an individual. Maybe have someone to go through it with you or you can go through with your small group or some of you I heard are going through it with your neighbors, whatever. Just feel free to jump right in. You can wait till January 1st, New Year's resolution, jump in, whatever works for you. But the reason why we're in Psalm 19 right now is because you're never going to want to memorize the word until you value the word. And what I want to show you is that the word is valuable and it speaks to the darkest time of your life. And when you start to see the value of the word you will want to memorize the word and in this context right here uh, of psalm 119 the psalmist is under great affliction from the wicked i don't want to compare his affliction to your affliction or someone else's affliction but we want to ask the same question altogether which god is in your sufferings so let's start at the beginning here talking about the sovereign God do not zone out because we're going to do a little theology together and theology matters people say theology doesn't matter it matters because we're talking about God so let's start with a little theology stick with me and the psalmist here believes in a sovereign God who has brought affliction his way for his benefit he talks about it in a variety of passages but I want you to start with verse 75 can you look at verse 75 Psalm 119, verse 75. The psalmist says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. The psalmist, he sees evil men plotting against him, taunting him, persecuting him, trying to trip him up and kill him. Yet in the midst of all this affliction, get this, from other people, he says to God, you have afflicted me. What? Other people were coming at him and he says, you have afflicted me. What do you, what do, you do about that? Well, in, in no way, shape or form is the psalmist attributing evil to God, God is not morally responsible for evil, and you will never see the Bible say that God is morally responsible for evil. The evil people do on this earth is 100% all them, and they are 100% responsible for it and accountable to God. So how do you bring those two together? where people bring stuff against the psalmist, and he says, you, as in God, have afflicted me. How do you reconcile those two? It's very difficult to understand. Let me show you what Steve Estes says. He says this. He says, how can God ordain these things and not be sinful himself? The answer is that God steers the ship of evil, but he does not power it. He steers the ship of evil, but he does not power it. This means that the evil human heart powers the ship, but God will make sure that sin ultimately furthers his cause rather than the cause of evil. Or to put it another way, evil will serve God's glory. Evil will serve God's glory. The psalmist sees evil men coming after him. He knows God is sovereign. And he sees the faithful hand of God behind it all. And he says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Maybe you're not as familiar with the psalmist. I'm going to bring to your mind a character that most of you know. Job. You know Job from the Old Testament. Job. Remember what happened to him? Invaders killed the servants. The fire came down and burned up his servants and the sheep. And then a windstorm made a house collapse on all of his kids, leading to their death. And do you remember in Job chapter 1 what Job said when all this calamity happened? Tim, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it to your attention. Be sure to listen. To it. In Job 121, he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, if you're paying attention to Job, you want to stop and say, whoa, whoa, Job, I need to tell you something. God didn't do this, Job. Satan did this. We know the story. You can't see it, Job. Satan, you are wrong, Job, in saying that it was the Lord who took it all away from you. But what does the next verse say in Job one twenty two? It says, through all this, job did not sin nor did he blame god what he realizes that his suffering is from the hand of god but he does not attribute to god evil or wrongdoing and that's why he can say the lord gave the lord taken away but he doesn't attribute evil to god so god is still sovereign now i know this may be a big jump for some of you And I wanna encourage you to study the Bible. I want you to study God's providence. If I could preach on any topic, it would always be on God's providence and sovereignty. I love preaching on that, that topic. But where the topic gets difficult is when you introduce the problem of evil. So I want you to study the Bible and come to your own conclusions. But I'm afraid that some of you have in mind the conclusions and the view of suffering similar to Rabbi Harold Kushner. He wrote the book When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I know some of you have read that book. And you got to feel for him. You feel for the guy because he and his wife, they had a son. Maybe you know this. He had a rare disease that had to do with rapid aging. The boy looked like an old man, and he died at 14. It's a very sad story and I really feel for the family. And so the rabbi wrote about this suffering in his book when bad things happen to good people. And this is what he says. Bad things do happen to good people in this world, but it is not God who wills it. God would like people to get what they deserve in life, but he cannot always arrange it. God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes he can't bring that about. It is too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. God does not want you to be sick or crippled. He did not make you to have this problem, and he doesn't want you to go on having it. But he cannot make it go away. This is something too hard, even for God. Now, at first, this may comfort those who are crying out to God, God, why is this happening to me? Why did you do this? and Harold Kushner, he can come up and say, well, you know, God had nothing to do with this. But now, but now, he can come in and give you comfort. And John Erickson Tata says, this is the sugar view of God. It's too sweet to be comforting. And this is why it's too sweet. If God had nothing to do with what's happened to you, and he was like hands off, then why do you think he can now come in and help you? If he was just somehow absent from whatever was going on and now somehow he's just going to poof show up how can you be so sure and what they they say it's like we're saying God you're going to limit your sovereignty when bad has happened to be but boy you're going to come with full force to comfort me how can I be so sure how can you get your mind around this and I want you to make sure you get this A loving and compassionate God only is really too sweet to be comforting. A loving and compassionate God only is really too sweet to be comforting. And as painful as affliction is in my life and your life, I have to say with the psalmist, I really have to agree with the psalmist, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. And when I make that comment to God, I'm not saying that I'm attributing evil to God, but I'm looking to Him and saying, you are faithful. He is sovereign. He is in control even in your suffering. And if that's true, which I believe it is, you've got to ask the question, well, why did He bring it my way in the first place? Why did God bring affliction my way in the first place? A lot of times we don't know the answer to that. We won't know until heaven. But there's some things that we can know about affliction. I want to share a few of those as we go to the rest of the passage. First thing is this. Affliction can turn us from sin. Look at verse 67. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. And I want to just say up front that just because you have affliction in your life right now does not mean that you are in habitual sin. But God does sometimes bring affliction into our life to discipline us and turn us from sin. I'm sure some of you have dramatic stories where you are going one way. God brings hardship into your life and it absolutely turns you around and you start following the Lord. That's your story. Before affliction came your way, you were going astray. Hardship came, you turn around and you can be just like the psalmist. And he, you can say what he says in verse 71. Look at verse 71. I'm wondering if any of you have ever said this. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I mean, that, that's typically not a refrigerator verse, is it? It's just good that I was afflicted. <laughs> when affliction is going on, None of us say, well, this is
0: great.
1: But when we look back, we can say, you know, it was good for me that I went through that. It really turned me around to follow the Lord. Well, the second thing that affliction can do, affliction can give us better discernment. Look at verses 65 and 66. Look at the benefits here. 65 and 66. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. And when we're walking with the Lord and His His Word and His ways, we can grow more and more in, in discernment and knowledge. But when we stray, our discernment meter gets out of whack. And we start to say things and think things and do things that are way off. But affliction, once again, has a way of turning us around And bringing us back to God and His Word where our discernment can increase. The third thing about affliction, affliction has a way of showing us what matters most. Look at verse 72. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Isn't that amazing? That the affliction that he experienced showed him what mattered most. And when you're sitting beside the the bed of a loved one who is close to death—you at that moment you really see what matters. Or if your your body starts to hurt in life, you really see what matters. Or your your kids are straying from the Lord, you step back and you and you really see what matters, and you start to realize, well, you know, money—that doesn't, that doesn't really matter, and the house and the clothes and the stuff—it doesn't—it doesn't really matter. When affliction comes your way, God is speaking to you, and you, you feel these words in your soul, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And lastly, affliction can be an encouragement to others. Look at verse 74. Verse 74. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. Look at verse 79. Jump down to verse 79. May those who fear you turn to me, even those who know your testimonies. There is this certain amount of rejoicing that rises up in other believers when they see someone responding rightly to affliction. I'm really encouraged myself when I see some of you going through such dark times and you are rejoicing and you're praising god and and that does something within me to see that you're still clinging to the lord and his word even in the midst of of trials and affliction and it's amazing as the bible says as we receive comfort in our affliction we are able to comfort others in their affliction That's just something the way that god has worked it in where we praise Him during affliction and it encourages others Okay, so we've been going through this and we're talking about the benefits of hardship. Okay, you ready? So it turns us from sin. It gives us better discernment. It shows us what matters most and it encourages us to hope in the Lord. But if you are not careful, you will take these truths and you can turn God into a no sugar added view of God. God. This is the, the bash you over the head with sovereignty, God. If you ever met anybody like this, they can give you these four reasons and 20 others why God has brought affliction into your life. You're good because he is a sovereign God. And that sometimes can turn into a no sugar added view of God. It's where people can, can come up to Rabbi Kushner and say, you know, Rabbi Kushner, it was great that your son died so young. Or they can go up to Johnny Erickson Tata, She's a quadriplegic. People will say to her, Johnny, really a lot of good has come out of what's happened to you. It's great you're a quadriplegic and can't do anything but bat your eyelids. Really, six good things have already happened. People are praying. Isn't it great that people are praying who haven't been praying? Aren't you glad to be lying motionless in bed because now people are praying? How does that feel to you? Does that that answer feel adequate? It, It may contain some truths, but it makes your soul like pucker. And cringe. and You see, a God who is only strict, strong, and sovereign in charge, who runs the world with his agenda, is a sour God. A God who is only strict, strong, sovereign in charge, who runs the world with his agenda, is a sour God. So, what does that leave us? What does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with the truth. And I want to kind of bring the truth to you right here. Here is the truth God is not only sovereign, but God is good and does good. He's not only sovereign in control, but he is good and he does good. Look what the psalmist says in verse 68. Look at verse 68. These are the one of the refrigerator ones right here. This is good. Verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. God is good. We serve and love and follow a good and pleasant God. And most of us would say, yes, God is good. But would you say, you are good and do good. A good God does God. He does not have evil intent in his heart against us, but does things that are good. The psalmist says these things in the context of affliction. Bad things are happening to him, and he says, "You are good and do good." That reminds you of Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I know it doesn't feel like it, but when you're in the midst of the trial, here's the truth. God is good. No matter what's going on in your life right now, God is good and does good. I I can't explain all the reasons what's going on, Some of that stuff we will not know to heaven, but I can tell you right now, God is good and does good. Our God is sovereign and he is good. He is not the sugar God of the loaded lemonade, nor is he the sour God of the pure lemon juice, but he is the properly sweetened mix of sovereignty and love who meets us in our suffering. He's the proper mix of, of sovereignty and love that meets us in our suffering. I've always been amazed and encouraged by Johnny Erickson Tata. I uh, had my kids meet her about 10 years ago in 2010. I a picture. Oh, there should be a picture on there. This is my daughter, Karis. She's not that age anymore. She's here with us today. She's almost 20, but that was back in 2010 where... Um, a couple of my kids uh, went to go visit her when we were in, visiting in California. And I saw John Erickson speak at Urbana back in 1993. And, and many of you know the story that she became a quadriplegic at 17 from a diving accident. And she was placed initially in an institutional geriatric ward and she would cry at night because of all that had happened to her. And actually, she would actually not cry she would bite her lip because no one could wipe her tears at night and when she's laying there in bed the sugar god of her early cynical days you know the jesus that parted his hair in the in the middle and he walked out in the lily fields she said that god wasn't any good to her at all and and the and the the sour god of the sovereign god that causes everything to happen. Now, that's, that's what she was blaming. She was almost cursing heaven for what is happening to her. That God, sovereign only, was not good to her at all. So she's lying there in bed. It's dark. It's at night. And she sees this figure like scurrying on the floor, scared her to death. The figure, someone on all fours, just crawling around her room, it's freaking her out. And then she realizes that, oh, it's her best friend, Jackie so Jackie puts down the guardrail and gets up in bed with her and puts her head like, like girls would do in a slumber party on her pillow. And she's raising Johnny's hand, putting her fingers in her fingers, and Johnny can't feel any of that. And, and that moment, her friend Jackie started to sing. And her song was, Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim hallelujah what a savior and johnny said at that moment right there something flipped in her and she started thinking of jesus as a man of sorrows and she says that that night something changed no more pure lemons. No more heaps of sugar. It was her first taste of properly sweetened lemonade of God. And she said her prayer started to change. She's like, God, come down. I need your comfort. I need it. I'm lost. I want you to find me. My soul thirsts for you. And she said that she felt like God had become her daddy. She felt like that night God became her daddy who reaches down and picks up his child and pats her on the back and says, There, there, honey. Everything's going to be okay. Daddy's here. It's okay. And she said that she sensed that on that night, her father's assurance that her life was not spinning out of control. That it was not ripping apart in a nightmarish chaos And she said, I had the fatherly assurance that God, this sweet but lemony God, was right in the midst of my suffering. And the same God that she experienced is the same God that you can experience. It's a God that is absolutely sovereign and in control, but he's absolutely full of love for you. He cares for you. He knows what you're going through. He is the Son of God, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who knows what's going on, and he has compassion and love for you, and he wants you to turn to him, and he wants your heart to say, even in the midst of affliction, you are good and do good. Do you believe that?